Hello and welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. My name is Carrie Smith. I'm here with my co-host Carter Laren. If it's your first time here, Deprogrammed is a show that we do where we try and dissect my old ideology, which I most often call social justice ideology. You may have also heard it called intersectionalism or critical race theory. And I'm really excited today because we have a guest who has done a brilliant job of dissecting critical race theory in his workplace. Uh, I'm going to let Carter do the on, have the honors of doing the introduction, but uh, really excited to speak. Yeah, with today we're guy. talking to Casey Peterson, whom you may have seen recently on YouTube. Um, Casey is a researcher at the Sandia National Labs in New Mexico, who recently uh, took a public stand against the critical race theory being pushed at Sandia's by by Sandia's HR department. Um, he emailed over sixteen thousand employees, made a brilliant YouTube video breaking down the uh, false claims, and now he's on administrative leave. I'm sure completely unrelated. So uh, <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Casey A. Peterson. That's uh, Peterson with an E. Uh, and I'll, we'll put this link below. And his YouTube channel, Data Driven Conclusions. So nice triggering name. And we'll put a link to that below as well. Casey, uh, welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. Thanks for having me. Well, I was going to say, I don't know how much you know about our show, but Carter and I started doing this together, this particular show, Deprogrammed, because he and I knew each other years ago when I was somewhat of an evangelist for social justice ideology and critical race theory. And then I started, my eyes started opening to what it really was. I was in it for 20 years and I started yeah. leaving it. And so the nature of the things I was sharing online changed, and then and then Carter was like, "Hey, wait a minute, I want to talk to her." <laughs> and so we start as I left the ideology, we we realized we should just have these conversations online because it's so uh, it can be so convoluted this belief system, and they they sell it as such a positive thing. And so we could literally interview experts and people who have dealt with it for years to try and pull it apart. So that's that's sort of what we do with this show. And I just wanted to ask you, what was your first? Because I saw I saw the video that you did uh, at Sandia Labs after you emailed the six, 16,000 employees. And then I saw a follow-up video where you were kind of talking about um, some of the stuff that's happened since then. When yeah. were you first introduced to critical race theory? Because that's what you mostly call it in the video. When did you first come into contact with it? It's like asking about the zombie apocalypse. When did you first realize there were zombies? So I think um, just about anybody that has been paying attention to the news and to events in the United States, uh, even over the past decade, has obviously been exposed to critical race theory, may not have put the name critical race theory to it. But to all those out there that are unaware what critical race theory is, Essentially, it is at the core of the driving the narrative on systemic racism and white privilege. So critical race theory, a lot of these books that get peddled around, such as White Fragility, Me and White Supremacy, and these books, they, they are written um, on the basis or the foundation of critical race theory. And it drives uh, the idea of even the 1619 projects I think a lot of people are aware of, the idea that the nation was founded on racism, all the systems throughout the nation are racist, and even uh, people, uh, they drive very, very hard home the fact, they drive home the fact very hard that everybody is unknowingly racist. So even the uh, least racist people, 
they want you, they try to get you indoctrinated with this idea of unconscious bias and unconscious racism, that even you are unknowingly racist and unknowingly participating in this system of white supremacy. So I would say it's, it's, I've been aware of it as long as I've been aware of the, uh, I guess, forming my own worldview and aware of what's going on in the world and the different ideologies that are, that are fighting for the same space. And I guess, I was surprised to see it creeping into our national laboratories. For everybody unaware out there, we, um, I am part of the, I believe, the largest national laboratory. Out of, our, out of our 17 federally funded national laboratories, Sandia National Laboratory is the largest. And our national laboratories are absolutely critical to national security. They take on the most difficult and sensitive pro problems for our nation. And there's been a lot of people out there uh, outraged at what is being taught and pushed at the federal level to the employees from HR and even calling for defunding the national, uh, the national laboratory. And I don't think people realize how important the national labs are. Uh, yes, there is a cancer in the national laboratories, but we don't need to shoot ourselves in the foot. Or I guess even in this case, this is more akin to decapitating yourself to go and kneecap the national laboratories and their, their funding the work they do for the nation is absolutely critical. The people we work with are, are brilliant, and I think that if people understood what we did, they would know that we just need to work to get critical race theory out of the labs and not necessarily punish the uh, engineers and scientists that just want to get back to work, just want to work on national security. And they're being hindered, and we've had even a lot of them. Um, I said on another program, a radio interview that I did, that we would begin to start hemorrhaging, um, hemorrhaging good people. And I was corrected by a lot of my coworkers. They had emailed me and actually upset saying, they said, begin to hemorrhage? What are you talking about? We've already been hemorrhaging. And so this wow. is something, maybe I wasn't paying attention to this. And I, um, it was drawn to my attention. There's people emailed me that have already quit and people that are considering quitting. I even spoke to the gentleman on the phone today that was considering quitting and still even considering it strongly because he, I, he wasn't sure how this was going to all turn out. Just the environment has gotten very poisonous for uh, especially white males at Sandia National Laboratories. So it's very unfortunate. This reminds, I, this is going to sound like a non sequitur, but it's not. Did you watch the, the series Chernobyl? I did not, but I certainly heard about it. I don't think anybody could avoid hearing about that series. That came out. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I the reason that it's it's uh, bringing this to mind is you've got this complex critical system. Now, in this case, it's, it was you know in that case it was energy and it was actually dangerous. But you can you can draw parallels to the work that Sandia does in terms of national security and the criticality of it for the nation and. It was effectively undermined by ideology. It was effectively ideology that slowly, that kind of almost insidiously and un, in an undetected way ate at the edges of the institutions and changed people's behavior in a way that allowed, uh, over, the, the, allowed them to overlook what turned out to be catastrophic problems that should have been caught and actually were known beforehand. And I can't help but think that Sandia, you know, I don't think Sandia is unique in that this is being pushed there. I think Sandia is unique in that there's someone who's speaking up about it. Yeah. The, the whole reason that I'm here is because this was, um, let's go back in this saga. This will take a minute, but about two months ago, 
uh, I had some emails come across my personal email and, and this stuff, there'd been whisperings of it throughout the labs before, but I had some emails come across that were from three director level managers and they were uh, essentially, I guess they were well-intentioned, but very misled and they're, they were just kind of pushing this critical race theory very subtly and stating things as fact that weren't fact. And so I was a little irritated. I almost emailed my manager. And at the end, I decided, you know, let's just let it go. Who cares? And then one week later, and this is yeah, just a, to, can I jump in for a second? Just yes. to clarify, those three emails, I'm curious, did they come, they all came in after George Floyd kind of pushed this ideology into the mainstream. Is that correct? Okay. So everything, everything that we're saying here is kind of on the backdrop of the unfortunate events that happened with George Floyd. And this sparked a lot of people to action in the laboratories and across the nation, obviously, and a lot of unrest and a lot of call for activism saying silence is violence or silence is compliance. And that if you don't speak out, you're racist. And that's obviously a very strong accusation and nobody wants to be accused of being a racist. So you have these people coming to work that are very well intentioned, I believe, but just deeply misled on the facts of the situation. And I tried to bring this. Uh, so anyways, coming back to the timeline, I would say a week later after those emails, those concerning emails, we had classes that were uh, very much rushed and shoved in front of us. And there was a class on how to talk to your children about race. And then there was a panel of black uh, the law enforcement in the black community, essentially uh, Sandians, Sandian National Lab employees, black employees talking about their experiences with um, law enforcement. And then the third one that was the big one, it was uh, the, the town hall hosted by the president of the laboratories. And it was, what is systemic racism and what can we do about it? And when those came across originally, I saw those and I said, well, maybe these are going to be moderate. Maybe these will be corporate sanitized. I could see a way of pulling all of those events off without, you know, jumping both feet in with both feet into this critical race theory. But at the bottom of them, they had this link to some resources and say, you know, click on these resources and find how you can be an agent of change. And so I followed those resources out of curiosity, of course, and found that uh, as I got on that web page, they had two disclaimers on that web page. And this, this, these disclaimers are very interesting because now everywhere else this critical race theory has shown up after I put my video out to all 16,000 employees and contractors. Everywhere that is, they've attached this little disclaimer, essentially legally hiding behind this disclaimer, saying as long as we have this disclaimer put up here, we can put whatever we want beyond this point. And so I clicked on these materials and they're very radical materials. There was a book list on there of 20 different books um, that, that they wanted us to read. And these books are all critical race theory books or mostly all critical race theory books. So purchased and dug through all of these books. And you find that every la or 12 out of 20 of these books are very anti-Trump. And uh, my whole, my whole thought here in putting this video out is that agree or disagree with the politics of the situation, you cannot disagree with this is controversial and it should be not, not, they should not be pushing it by our government funded laboratory. So with all these materials, I found them to be very concerning, radical, even racist in nature, very anti-white, um, very demeaning towards minorities. When I say racist, I mean, it was both anti-white 
and very belittling to um, African Americans. Any self-respecting African American with a backbone uh, would would be very offended by being treated like this. Just very patronizing. Um, I guess the soft bigotry of low expectations. That's a term that you hear often, and it definitely applied here. Talking about essentially how you, as a white individual, need to become this white savior and constantly help them and prop them up and make sure their voice is heard, and just so demeaning and such a, uh, a damaging ideology of victimhood. If I wanted, if I had an enemy and I wanted to wish the worst thing on him, I would just wish that he took on a mentality of victimhood because it absolutely destroys people. And to give that to your children and be pushing that on all these materials saying, oh, your children, make sure you speak to them about their white privilege. Make sure you speak to your minority children about the history and how their victimhood and they're, they're oppressed. And nobody is working to get ahead at that point. And so my, I brought that to the I'm glad you brought that point up. I just wanted to underline that point. We talk about that a lot as well, is that this ideology, like you said, it's not just anti-white and, and anti-male, but it's it's really, it's sexist towards everyone. It's racist towards everyone. The way in which it's sexist towards women and the way in which it's racist towards anyone who's not white is in that very belittling, demeaning, and condescending way. So if I can't, I first of all, I commend you for reading all 20 of the cult indoctrination books. <laughs> A lot of the people who push them have not read them. <laughs> I find no, it, if you start it, it talking with them. Painful. Don't don't get me wrong. I didn't I didn't enjoy the process. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you, that's a real commitment to truth. I love that. And so, yeah, one of the things they push in the books, and I'm, I I saw you mention in the video, and they they try and say that things like being on time, uh, you know, meritocracy, uh, individualism, you know, strength, perseverance. That these are all white things that are owned somehow by. Those are, those are very damaging to minorities, people of color, and females. It's yeah. just essentially, if you can dream it up, if it is a good trait to have, slap it on the list, and it, it would make the list for being racist and sexist. That's, wow. a, that's essentially the cutoff for, for those. And, but anyways, the, a lot of these materials pushed by the laboratories were um, very, very political in nature and definitely in violation of the Hatch Act. But, of course, they had them hiding behind this wonderful disclaimer, so you know, all liability goes away as long as you say, hey, go and push it really hard and say, everybody needs to go read this. There was even, we found out some of the groups, some of the uh, groups were actually pushing to like homework, essentially, like we're gonna have a group meeting and we want to know what you've done on these activist lists or what, you, what you've been working on. And, uh, you know, the subtle, the subtle threat there is like, if you don't want to come and participate, that's fine, but it's not going to reflect good because this is coming from the highest level. This is like a, you know, larger department meetings. That did not happen in my personal group, so I, I can't attest to that, but definitely happened with hundreds of others. But anyways, I, I decided that I was going to bring these materials up to my um, management, and I called my level two manager at this point because my level one manager was out, but I, I looped her in on it as well, and I told him my concerns over a 30-minute conversation, and he thought some of my concerns were merited, so he led me on to ethics, who uh, passed me off to HR, the HR group that actually hosted this uh, internal web page talking about race in the workplace. And they were taking a real long time. Everyone, both ethics and HR, I got the vibe. They were kind of slow rolling it. So I eventually went back to my level one manager and we got directly in contact with government relations at the laboratories. And we went back and forth with them. And this whole time I started out with two goals and my goals are, uh, were the same all the way throughout this process. And either one, these materials are in violation of policy and they will be taken down or removed or, you know, reworked. And I could go back to my day job focusing on national security or two, 
they are within government policy, in which case I can start creating my own class and pushing my materials on the subject with the same level of exposure and the same level of promotion as, as theirs. And I pushed all the way through this process, and eventually, about a month and a half later, I sat down and met with HR and had a very troubling with, uh, meeting with HR. It was a senior manager, two other HR individuals, and my manager, and talked with them for a 30-minute meeting, and they discussed with me uh, that these materials had been rushed when they were placed up on, on our internal webpage. And that, uh, and I felt like they were hinting kind of that it, even if your class gets approved that we're discussing here, it's going to take you a lot longer. And then I went which, through some trouble. Which is lines. funny because they just, as you said in your video, it's like they just threw spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. And they're like, but you're exactly. not, we're not going to let you do that, but we're going to do that and we're not going to take it down. No, and I, told, I gave them so many opportunities. I told them I would come there right now. I would come after work. I'd come on the weekend. It didn't matter. I would come show them all of the materials because I had dug through them and show them which ones were political, which ones were extremely offensive, which ones were, you know, way too extreme. And I was going to lay everything out, and they refused time and time again. And so it's not like I, for lack of trying, I wasn't just trying to piss off people at work. I was doing everything I could to get these materials taken down. Hold on for just a second. I just want to pause because I want to clarify for people that don't that don't know because not everyone, not everyone I don't think is familiar with. You said there's two options, and are you basing this on that the Hatch Act? Are you saying like because there's rules about political uh, propaganda or speech at Sandia? Can you can you clarify why you thought there was two two cases that were possible there, and why you would then be allowed to to put up alternate material? Yes. Yeah, so part of it is the Hatch Act, because obviously a lot of this crosses into political realm. And then um, also, Sandia being a national laboratory, they can't prop up one ideology over another. And then uh, especially when it's politically charged. And they're even saying that they they were open to you talking about talking about having this difficult conversation of race and telling everyone their ideas are welcome and all this and just paying lip service to it, essentially. But then having these classes where they had complete and total control, especially during COVID, they have complete and total control of the Skype course. And they have complete, they're recording the entire class. And so people are already scared to speak up. And then, especially for the last course, we have 4,000 people. Nobody is chiming in. Nobody's going to say anything in that class because you're not even allowed to. And so they're just sitting there and preaching at you for all 4,000 people that attended that final town hall on systemic racism with the um, president of the laboratories that they have complete control over that and they're essentially just indoctrinating people and giving all of it is just misinformation. So just to be clear, there's a difference between them allowing you to have political speech and argue amongst yourselves and they, it seems like the company itself is have, has one particular political agenda that they're wanting to push and they're arguing that you can't even push back on that political agenda. Is that, I just want to be very clear for people. Yes. And political speech at work is not, we, we aren't even allowed to, uh, we, we've been told that even if we are in the uh, parking lot on the military base, we are not even allowed to like a tweet that is political. And wow. <laughs> so they are very strict on what you are allowed to do and not to do. And they were essentially saying this is outside the realm of politics. So they're saying if we are pushing this critical ah. race theory, it's outside the realm of politics. Even though their their books completely called out or, or books and materials called out action items for
for uh, political activities that you need to do. You need to fight against voter ID was one of the things they were saying. You need to support Black Lives Matter, Southern Poverty Law Center, the NAACP, extremely political, controversial uh, groups and telling you to donate to them. But of course, they're behind this, this little disclaimer. So they feel like they can do whatever they want. And then the minute you ask to put the same types of materials up behind that same disclaimer, absolutely not. They're not hearing, they're not hearing it at all. Got it. So this, uh, this kind of, I guess the, the breaking point for me after, after I had met with them or, or let's finish up on this meeting, because there were some things that were said in that meeting that I thought were very concerning uh, and, and kind of made me very frustrated with the situation. The HR department went through some lines of questioning with me. One of the, one of the HR representatives there went through some lines of reasoning. She was um, asking me how I, she was asking me how I felt that this class would be, would be contributing to being an ally, a black ally. And I found that very troubling because being a black ally seemed ridiculous to me. You don't need to be a black ally or a white ally. You should be an ally of all races and you should be an ally of truth, honesty, and decency. So I got, I got very frustrated there, but the worst part of the meeting is when the senior manager of HR told me in frustration that because I kept telling them again and again, all of the falsehoods, all the false materials, all of the um, bad data they've been using. And she eventually tells me out of frustration that it is not their job to fact check these materials for accuracy. Wow. And that I, I was extremely surprising. Especially given that you're at a research lab, you're, it, it's based on empirical, the kind of work that you do depends on empirical evidence. And you're saying, yeah. look, I've looked through all of the empirical data and the statistics and the studies. And I, I noticed you mentioned the Roland Fire study, the Harvard study, and the, the narrative that you guys are selling in this material is not accurate. And they're saying, we don't, it's not our job to be accurate. And the, iron, the irony was obviously extremely thick because even my manager was taken back by that. When she comes from a technical background, so for, for that to come out of their mouth, I think for HR, they, they all just shrugged it off. But I, I think it hit my manager a lot harder. And I'm not saying that my manager completely agreed with me. My manager was very, very by the book to the point that I couldn't even tell what her viewpoints was. So she's done an outstanding job in her place in, in just staying and doing yeah. her job and nothing more, nothing less. And HR, um, I, I brought up the scientific method and things because I, I obviously found it extremely ironic that they would be talking about this at a national laboratories. And she said, you can find a study to prove anything. And I just, <laughs> I just yeah, that's literally the scientific method. That's what we do. We debate through studies and facts and data. And when your data is wrong or your study is botched, which the amount of the amount of bad studies that I have seen through this process, I never thought I'd be digging through so many studies, so many horrible studies. It just makes you almost lose faith in academia, and it, it's sad to see, but it's it's a fact. If they if you have an ideology that you want to push, if there is money to be had or a political view to be pushed, you will find the study. So if you believe it, the study will come to support it. And it's sad to see that, but the good news is it's with a little bit of critical thinking, it's extremely easy to destroy these studies one after another. And I've had so many comments on my video because my video is an hour long. And obviously I had to balance a lot of things in this video that I emailed out to my entire laboratory. People complained about the length of the video. Obviously, if you're complaining about the length of the video, it was, you are not the audience. The audience is some of the most intelligent engineers, scientists, and PhDs in our nation. So you were not my target audience. 
uh, additionally, a lot of people are coming. <laughs> I'm going to use that argument from now on when we have really long videos. So I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so the uh, we had people coming out complaining that oh you didn't mention this fact you didn't mention that fact you didn't mention this study or that study and the fact is I gave a big list somewhere in the middle of my video saying these are other topics I'm going to cover because I absolutely I had out of all the slides I have I had another 250 slides mainly database slides and sources and things but I can't fit that into an hour long video and so yes I have looked at your study and the five the specific five logical fallacies that I found again and again in those studies, in the, uh, the most common logical fallacies that disprove these studies and these claims, apply to the rest of these studies as well. So I pulled some of these strongest, hardest hitting claims, and I plan on going over all these studies. But if you think that your specific piece of evidence, I haven't been presented with it, or I haven't seen it, I guarantee you that I have. All of these books are going to represent their arguments, starting with their strongest points of view, not their weakest points of view. Every last piece of material that we had trying to prove that you're racist, trying to prove that you're unconsciously racist, whatever it may be, I have seen it, and they're all bullcrap. And if you want to stay tuned, I will show you over the next few months of, about how bad, how much garbage are in these studies. So I, I just, just want to give uh, you a standing ovation. First of all, Carter and I have been wondering for a while, we were saying, where are the engineers and the scientists? Because I, it actually, in, in a weird way, some of the smartest people I know who, who are engineers, some of them have been pulled into this belief system. And, and I was trying to figure it out because they're, they're so, um, uh, you know, everything they do, it depends on facts. But at the same time, we were saying, well, maybe it's because in some cases, um, people who maybe they have maybe they don't understand as much the emotional mind and so because this functions a little bit like a religion or like a cult like an orthodoxy that maybe people who are more uh scientifically minded might be pressured to go along with this because they think they just don't understand it emotionally that this is a different kind of knowledge they don't understand and let me just let me just say what they want me to say and go along with this, even though the statistics don't match what they're telling me to believe because there might be yeah. something I'm just not getting here. And, but, but I'm happy to see that I'm wrong, that there are, there are scientists, there are people in the engineering field who are starting to push back against this. And yeah, anyway, I just wanted to give you a, a big thank you. Um, I, I want you to finish your timeline. Uh, after you had the meeting with HR, the very disturbing meeting, then is that when you decided I'm going to do the video? Um, yeah, well, let me let me speak to this real okay. quick. You say, where are the scientists, where are the engineers? Okay. I would say um, the thing with scientists and engineers, they want to build crap. They want to solve problems. So when you say, where are the scientists and engineers, a lot of them want to be left alone. <laughs> and even more than that, even more than that, a lot of the scientists and engineers, uh, you will find, like, I, I will... Uh, interesting thing about Sandia, you get the opportunity to work with every discipline, physicists, chemical engineers, you know, you work with biologists, you work with every single discipline at Sandia, and you'll find that you will talk, I will talk to an extremely intelligent physicist who can tell you everything on physics. The minute I want to mention some hardware circuits to him or any programming, they want to shut you down. Their brain is so full. They are such an expert on their subject. They have no room for any other bull crap. So lots of scientists and engineers could specifically block that out. But um, back to the timeline of the video, uh, it was about uh, two weeks after that and after the town hall on systemic racism that we had, two weeks after the meeting with HR and after the town hall on systemic racism that, uh, and I had been expecting a meeting within this two weeks, of course it never came with HR. 
And then I got, had a sit down meeting with my level one and level two managers, and they were only relaying information from above. So very much like there was no conversation really. It was just them giving, giving me what the word was from above. And essentially they had told me that you have been heard. Like we appreciate your point of view. Thank you very much. Yes, we did rush some of these materials. We apologize. We're currently forming a board to review these materials, which are still up to this day. And this, so it's been like a month, a month or almost two months since I actually brought this up to them. So they're going to take a while to review these. It's apparently very difficult to read a book for whatever group they formed. And they said, you, we appreciate it, but this matter is closed. We're not going to be able to debate it at work and essentially keep you, you're free to have your own opinions at home and get back to work. And it's at that moment that I just thanked my, my level one and level two manager, obviously that there's no debate to be had between myself and them. And I had determined that, you know, I was going to see this through to the end because it was um, actually an extremely immoral stance that they had. And so yes. I was morally obligated to do what I did. There was no me making decision, wondering if I should or shouldn't do this. It's like, I was very well aware what the risks could be, but uh, I was morally obligated because their views, if incorrect, if their data is incorrect, it's not just, oh, you misled some people. It is immoral. And that is why in my video, I highlighted only one topic. Out of all the topics I could have selected, I selected only one topic. And that was the topic of systemic racism in policing. And the reason I highlighted it is because there is a death toll associated to the lies of systemic racism in policing and critical race theory in policing. And I went through it uh, in the video, obviously, and the, there's a big misconception when you talk to a lot of people for the first time who have not heard about these statistics um, for cases like George Floyd. Obviously, George Floyd was not killed with a gun, so he may not have even been included in those death statistics, but he is, he is part of an even smaller group of people. When you look at the arrest, the arrest rates and the crime rates, and then you look at how many unarmed black people are killed each year and how many unarmed white people, or better yet, in 2019, how many unarmed black people, how many unarmed white people. There was only 25 unarmed white people killed in 2019 and 14 unarmed black people killed in 2019. And if you listen to the narrative on critical race theory, you would assume that there are hundreds or thousands of unarmed black people being killed and only, you know, maybe tens or dozens of unarmed, unarmed white people being killed. And it's just not the case. You look at it and there, there is no data to support the claim that police are, are running around hunting down black people and killing them indiscriminately based on some sort of uh, implicit unconscious bias or whatever you may call it. And one of the things, take I'm going to interrupt you just one second. One of the things you pointed out there and you're, and you're so right. If you just listen to the media, People, I've had people tell me it's a pandemic. It's an epidemic of police officers killing unarmed black people. And they don't know the numbers. And they don't know that it's 14 people in 2019. And you also highlighted the fact that police officers are much more likely to be killed in the line of duty than an unarmed black person is to be killed by a police officer. And that's a statistic that I don't think people are aware of. If they're going to call one of these 14 people in the in 2019 an epidemic, are they going to call the numbers that 
of police killed? Is that a pandemic also? Is that an epidemic? But no, but it, it, it's a higher number. It's a higher percentage, but they don't speak about it in the same way. I don't think most people are aware of that. And, and I think that's the, the crux of it is that you have critical race theory is reliant on anecdotal evidence. And that's why you will hear so many times you have to listen to the lived experience of people. You have to listen to lived experiences. And there's a gentleman that I follow online that all he does is follow police brutality and police not knowing how to do their jobs properly and uh, abusing their force uh, and abusing their position and just being, you know, like, I guess, police malpractice in general. And he makes a living off of this. It is not unique to the black community. And the data does not support that black community is being killed at more at higher rates. It does not support the fact that they're being pulled over at higher rates. If you actually look into all of the studies and dig into every last one of them, every single claim that, that is brought up to me said, oh, you didn't consider, you know, the arrest rates for drug use. You didn't consider the, you know, how many police pull over, um, you know, how many black people are pulled over um, and how they only make up 13% of the population, yet they're pulled over at, you know, double the rate or 1.5 times the rate. And then you have study after study coming out showing that uh, African-Americans are breaking the traffic laws and much more, more than twice as likely to speed and more than uh, much more likely to, to speed at, uh, than, than white individuals. And so the benchmark is constantly misused. This is one of the most common tactics uh, for logical fallacies is choosing the wrong, wrong benchmark. And Heather McDonald goes into this in depth for everything that I, I've touched the surface on for these police statistics and police misuse of force. Heather McDonald dives so much deeper into it. And so I think uh, coming back to the, the storyline here of why this is so immoral to push this critical race theory ideology, um, I, I come back to the Ferguson effect. And you, you and your viewers might be aware of the Ferguson effect, but for everyone out there that's not, the Ferguson effect is the, um, the event that happened in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014 with Michael Brown caused the unrest and the riots, which caused the police to unintentionally pull back due to police demoralization. demoralization. And that pullback uh, caused a spike from 2014 to 2016, a spike in crime. And it has even, um, that, that spike in crime represents an additional 2,000 deaths for African-Americans. So it's not just police that are suffering from this. Yes, there is an increase in violence against police, police killings due to this anger, due to uh, these uh, individuals in these communities feeling like that they're being indiscriminately hunted down. But these minority communities are being hit much, much harder than even the police are being hit. And continuing to push these lies from essentially what, what is equivalent to an ivory tower over here at the National Laboratories where everyone has very, very cushy jobs. Nobody is going into these minority communities, these dangerous low-income communities, because as we know, minorities are disproportionately poor in the United States. Instead, they are pushing this ideology, and the ones who suffer the consequences are going to be these poor minority communities. So once again, we see an instance where critical race theory is actually, uh, it's actually working against the very thing it, it is claiming to champion. Yeah. And so the immorality of it, if you take it from that point of view, it's obvious that there, there's no other course of action than for me to put out the truth, put the truth out there and correct the record. And so that's exactly what I decided to do. And I went to work on creating this video and on uh, last Tuesday, I 
went in and emailed this out, this video out with uh, six separate sources that it could be found at and my own personal email that people could reach me at. Within uh, one to two hours after me e emailing out, the links have been blocked for uh, navigating to it externally. And then uh, two hours after, I believe uh, two to three hours after that, it had been scrubbed from everybody's email. And I think the Sandia HR and the Sandia management did, had never heard of the Streisand effect because that only worked to promote the video because you go tell a bunch of extremely intelligent scientists and engineers what they can and can't listen to and what I did they're not allowed to hear and they find a way to listen to them and hear them. And I got a lot of comments after the, that wave of people came in like very surprised, like what, this is what they didn't want us to watch? Are you kidding me? It's just nothing in there is extreme. I don't think any of my viewpoints were extreme. We have to have some sort of balance between everyone and everything is racist and white people are the problem and racism does not exist. There is some middle ground in there to address these problems and realize that they exist and actually come up with real solutions to them. But when your conversation is based in the fact that everybody has to first and foremost agree that everyone and everything is racist and then move from there, it is a conversation that is destined to fail from the get-go. And then later that afternoon, you were that's when you found out that you were uh, put on what paid administrative leave, I guess they called it, is was was just a few yeah. hours after that email. Yeah. So um, due to I guess security concerns, they uh, placed me on paid administrative leave, and I am still on paid administrative leave, going on um, almost a week now as of tomorrow. And I don't know how long it takes to review these resources, but I think it's pretty obvious that they aren't reviewing six links to see if I uh, jeopardize security. I imagine they go through a lot more links in one day than just six links. If that takes them that long, they seem very in inefficient in their job. So who knows what's going on behind the scenes right now, but it seems like uh, last I knew nothing had changed at the laboratory. The materials are still up. There is another class on racism uh, tomorrow. I have no clue if that class will be uh, more moderate or corporate sanitized. I'm guessing that it would be. And I put out a video today calling a lot of the individuals in the laboratory to stop avoiding these trainings. And this is for everyone in the nation. I've had a lot of people say, what can I do? This is happening at my work. You know, how do we fight back? And the first step to this is to make people realize burying your head in the stand does not make this better for you or for your children. Uh, there's a lot of people that say they're willing to fight and die for their children's future and things like that. Yet you have so many people that the minute that their job is threatened, they cower down. And this battle of ideologies, if you allow this poison to persist, in these national laboratories at a federal level and trickle through our private industry, <laughs> your children are gonna have absolutely no chance. Now is the time for everyone to stand up, become an HR watchdog. You need to go to these trainings. It's not fun, it's not exciting, but you need to go to every one of these trainings. You need to dig through those materials. You need to show up in mass to these trainings. And when something crazy is said, if you're not the brave one that stands up, you need to be standing behind the person that stands up and says something. You need to make it extremely uncomfortable to have these trainings in your place of work. If you have over half the class showing up and it just becomes a controversial thing, the company at the end of the day typically wants to make money or make great things. And so they're going to throw their hands up and you will have logic and facts and data win every day of the week. And can you tell us a little bit about, uh, so so after you released this, I'm not sure when you became aware of this, but I know you touched on um, learning that some of the upper level management had been going through trainings 
last year. And the news article that came out, I think it was Christopher Rufo wrote a piece about the how white men, upper management white men, were sent to what amounts to a re-education training. And can you talk a little bit about the training that they went through? Because I think for anyone who hasn't heard that, it's if they if they have any knowledge of history, it's gonna it's gonna bring up a few things in their mind about you know the forced apologies that kind of stuff. So the training, um, obviously, I highlighted that in part part of the video. But go check out Chris Rufo's. Uh, he has a Twitter feed that he checked and an article that he wrote about it. And this training is it. A lot of people felt sideswiped by all this stuff happening uh, because it had been pushed real lightly, and we said it felt like it came out of nowhere. But in fact, basic training had already taken place. All of these leaders had been forced to. These are mandatory trainings these leaders were forced to attend. And training was called, I think, um, White Men as Full Diversity Partners It was the training. And essentially, the entire thing is a very uh, intersectional, critical race theory uh, type of training where they are teaching that white males are the problem, that, um, you know, essentially the victim groups of females and uh, people of color need to be supported by you. You need to prop them up and they need your help. Um, and then they teach a lot of uh, very divisive things, forcing them to uh, write apology letters to these groups, the females and the people of color. And just everything that we've been talking about, that's exactly where all of these materials come, where these activist checklists come from. Um, and like we talked about these books and um, especially um, white fragility and mean white supremacy, they're set up in a very specific way where they start with some very sane ideas. And even, um, I, I guess you can call them sane if you're not paying attention, but uh, white fragility, they even start with the idea that, you know, race isn't biological. And on its face, you kind of you uh, related immediately to saying like, well, race isn't important. We're not, like race means nothing. And like kind of colorblindness almost. And then they introduce you to these ideas of white privilege, and they introduce you to these ideas of unconscious bias and get you to this point where you're feeling like, oh, my gosh, they've been so oppressed for so long, and, oh, wow, I'm part of the problem, and even I'm racist. Oh, this is so bad. And then they get, then at the end, it's here is the activist checklist that you need to check off. This is the things you need to do. This is the actions you need to take. And so it's almost a religious indoctrination. And for somebody reading this book that is not that does not have any critical thinking skills, it, it really is just an indoctrination session. If you can't if you can't see the see the BS that's within all these statistics and facts they're supposedly pointing out, then it's very easy to get roped into this. So these are the trainings that they were going through and the types of materials they were even suggested to consume. And so then when you look at it from that viewpoint, that's back in 2018, 2019, these trains are going on. So they were all geared up and ready to go. And George, the George Floyd incident was the uh, perfect opportunity for them to launch this at a, at a larger level on the laboratory uh, as a whole. And so the, those trainings, uh, I guess this is the first time that they bled over in a really big way into the members of the workforce. And even then, there were still people emailing me after I put this video out two weeks after this town hall on systemic racism, these uh, engineers and these you know scientists that have just had their heads buried in the sand and said, I had no idea it was this bad. I, I had no clue. And even people asking me after, after the fact, saying, where can I find these internal resources? Where do I go to find them? And I'm having to point them in the right direction to even dig them up because they had just been completely unplugged from it. The email comes in, they delete it. They want no part of it. 
And mm-hmm. that's the problem. If we aren't HR watchdogs, if we don't actually have people that care showing up in force to these events and putting HR in check, you end up having this out of control critical race theory at, at our federal national laboratories. And it's this divisive ideology and it's too late to do anything about it. We don't go 10 years down the road and try, try to reverse course. Now is the time for us to stand up and reverse course. You know, Something I really uh, admire about what you're you're doing is that I think I think for engineers and scientists, and I can, I'll speak for myself because I was an engineer for twenty years. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think there's a I think there's a tendency there's it's a sin of naivete in some sense in that uh, a lot of them kind of assume that okay, well I'm an expert in my thing. And so I'm rational and I'm going to do my thing here and I can my opinion can be trusted because I'm, you know, doing my best to be objective and fair. And they kind of assume that's true for HR and the humanities and other things that are disciplines that are isomorphic to their disciplines and the, and so they're just like, well, I'm sure that, you know, they've thought about it and they're using empirical evidence and they're rational and and doing their thing. I just I just don't understand that. So I'm going to leave HR alone. And the idea that an engineer should be a watchdog of HR just kind of sounds weird to them. And and anyway, as you said, they want to be left alone. So uh, just, just, you know, do your HR thing. It can't hurt anyone. It's just stupid HR stuff. I mean, I remember that attitude. It's just dumb HR stuff. It can't hurt anyone. What You know, just they're going to go do their stupid thing. And, and maybe they'll send emails that are annoying once in a while. But we can ignore them and go back to coding. And yeah. um, and the truth is, this has been metastasizing for decades. It is all over the place. And it came in through exactly the vector that the intelligent, rational people have been ignoring um, and thinking that they can just, you know, hey, well, I deal with the physical world, so I'll just let them deal with the world of people. That's not a big deal. Uh, and now it's kind of, uh, Carrie uses this analogy of like, the Manchurian candidates have been activated. Like the, the sleeper cells have now come alive. And now it's very clear that it's it's kind of everywhere. And I think if you can rally the engineers of the world and the scientists to stand up to this and say, no, 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 no. My brain is capable of more than computer science and physics. I'm capable of reading white fragility and seeing through its bullshit. Uh, And I will push back on this. There is not specialized knowledge in HR, which is somehow magical that I can't touch. I am able to understand (laughs) it and it is wrong and I can apply logic and reason to these things. And it needs to be pushed back. If there's enough engineers, that I think you could actually push back if enough people stood up and did what you're doing. Um, so I don't know. There's not even a question there, I guess. But yeah. No, no. I think our, our movement. Have has you gotten a lot of? Sorry, I was, I was just going to ask if you've gotten a lot of support and a tipping point here that uh, we have enough support behind us at the laboratories with what's happened in the last week that I think uh, critical race theory is on its way out. And that is not, that does not mean that we sit back and relax. That means that we uh, need to push even harder because uh, I've said it before, but we do not want a watered down version of critical race theory because if we do not push hard right now, all that will happen is they will just take all these materials and pull out some words here, some sentences there, and then they will just regurgitate those same materials on us over the next decades. And uh, speaking to the HR training, a lot of people have asked me, they said, where is this coming from? Like, it seems so coordinated, and people always jump to this nefarious 
uh, invisible hand behind everything, thinking that they're just coordinating all of the HR departments across across the world or across the nation. And you do not need that. They know that they are all in the same church, essentially. Yes. They know marching orders come down, and no one needs to tell them. No one needs to send them a text message saying, now is the time. They're, they're already ready to do it. They already had the materials queued up, ready to go. And the minute their opportunity presented themselves, you know, they feel like they're doing the, the best work that they could be. They feel like they're doing the best work for their, you know, ideology that they possibly could be. And you will hear them saying, as you pointed out in a video, like essentially strike while the iron is hot. A lot of the people who are pushing this now, whether it's in the workplace or in churches or in hobby groups, in the the knitting community online, uh, wherever it's cropping up, they're saying now's the time. And you will hear that we call them almost, uh, if you think of it like a religion, we call them the high priests and priestesses of the movement. They are saying you can't let up. You can't just post that you can't just virtue signal for a day that this has to, we have to keep the pressure on because they recognize that this, uh, it could have been any tragic event, but it happened to be George Floyd's death that sparked this, but, but it, it took root. It had already been growing. I took roots, not the right word. Cause it took root decades ago. As Carter was saying, I was indoctrinated 20 years ago and <laughs> you can bet if I were still in it, I would be using this because, because a lot yeah. of the people who are in it, a lot of the people, you touched on this earlier, a lot of the people who subscribe to it have good intent. And they take it at face value when it says this is about ending racism and sexism. Now, there are also people in it with bad intent who know fully what it is. But I think the the large portion of people who are now speaking it are doing so casually. Maybe they've, they haven't read the books, but they've read what the books say they're about. And they're, well, I'm, I'm against racism. I'm against sexism. I'm going to push this. So... Um, let me ask you a question. What would you say to those people who, because um, you've, you've kind of spoken to, you've, you've kind of given advice to people who are against this, that they should start speaking and why, because this is a moral issue. What would you say to the people who are for this ideology, who've accepted some of the tenets of belief, who have good intent? Do you have any words for them? Um. So I, w- I would say that a lot of people are very, very good, uh, have very good intent, and they've just been misled. And to be misled and then have someone point that out makes people feel foolish. And a lot of people will, uh, it's obviously not a good feeling. And so a lot of people will double down on their own beliefs after somebody has pointed that out. And I, I would even say for people who have, and are hearing of this for the first time, there are a couple videos that I would challenge you to go watch. And the videos are 100% filled with, you know, misleading statements, logical fallacies, false data, but the videos are very convincing. And so it will just show you that it is not difficult. You'll find yourself there like nodding your head and actually concerned for a lot of these. The two videos are systemic racism explained and racism by the numbers, racism in the United States by the numbers. And those are two very short videos and they just have a bunch of what seem like hard hitting facts. And it actually like takes a quite an effort to go and untangle the garbage uh, mess or the web that they weave of different lies and things like that. And so I would say, don't don't sit here and uh, chastise anyone who believes in this, especially people who are have passively started believing this recently. Try to just guide them to the fact that they've been lied to, and they only have to put on their critical thinking cap, cap for a very short time. And lead them into 
ask them what the hardest hitting fact that they've heard is. Start there. And you say, what is the hardest hitting fact? And if you're unsure, just listen to it. Go back, do some research on it, and you need to debunk them one by one and start with one thing at a time. Don't have them dump 50 different, different facts that they supposedly think they know on you. Start with the hardest hitting ones and work your way down the list. And after you get to number two or three, all of a sudden, they start to really doubt the sources that are feeding them this garbage. You have to make them realize that they have been lied to. They have been made to look foolish by people with ill intent. So it is not their fault. And... I want to bring this back to the national laboratories. This is bleeding into our policy, our hiring policies, our promotion policies, and it is damaging the laboratories. Uh, like I said before, I said we, we are going to start hemorrhaging people. I've been told we have been hemorrhaging people. And I will have a video coming out later this week that I had permission from uh, an individual that we're going to be sharing about somebody who has left the laboratories large part due to this, and we're going to be highlighting that's a very hard-hitting video, and it just kind of airs more of the dirty laundry of what's been going on in our upper leadership and how damaging it is. And it's a sentiment that uh, people at the laboratory share, and there's a lot of people that have one foot out the door and are starting to look for another place. Um, before I even put this video out, talking to an individual that I work with on a project, he said, man, I don't plan on being here for 10, 15 more years. You know, if it's this bad now, he was already planning on looking for new work. And this bled over, I put out a video, we have a process called LDRD. That's Laboratory Directed Research and Development. That is the only funds that the lab gets from federal funds that we direct ourselves. We tell it where to go as a laboratory. We set up boards and we direct it towards, you know, matters of national security projects that would otherwise be unfunded. So these are already extremely high-risk projects. And the, this woman speaking out, I've never been through the LDRG process. I do not have an intimate knowledge of the LDRG process. So this is all from a 15-year uh, veteran. And, and being uh, after I put that video out, I got confirmation from many, many others that, yes, it is that bad, that these funds are being um, allocated based on intersectionality. And essentially, race and gender are coming into play. And she run through a, ran through a scenario where there were not enough women in the upper pool of good ideas. So they sat there and talked for a while and started shifting some of the better ideas down and moving these uh, female-led ideas up to the top of the list. Wow. And you're talking about some of these projects. I have, I have already, I already personally know of projects that were not funded, that I, I wasn't on the projects, but LDRDs that were not funded, that were, you know, uh, even by other, other white males or other individuals in the lab that seemed like extremely good and promising projects. And sometimes there's a lot of, lot of, I guess, nuance involved in this process. But needless to say, there's a, a very uh, important research that goes on here and a lot of really good uh, results that have come out of LDRDs. So to say that we are going to inject um, race and gender requirements in the funding process for our, for our um, high-risk research and development is ridiculous. This actually puts national security at risk. You're actually saying that we, we, don't, we don't care about national security. We care more about intersectionality. And Well, I think that's true, by the way. I, I, I think that the dirty secret that, again, getting back to the engineers' naivete, they believe yeah. that these, these uh, high priestesses and priests of this movement actually want what's good for people. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think they do want intersectionality over national security. If two plus two is five, gets them the political uh, clout they want, and a bridge falls down, so be it. And, and I would like to say that 
I, I don't want to attribute to uh, malintent to those at the laboratories what could be, you know, attributed to ignorance. I, I would just like to say that they've been misled, and if they're willing to open up their mind and, like, open to the possibility that just maybe the, the stuff that they've been fed is false and, you know, put, on, put again on that critical thinking cap and go look at all that data again and look at the information I'm putting out, uh, I, I am not trying to mislead anyone. And I have said this before, but if they want to have this debate and moving forward and they want this to be in laboratories, I am completely for it. In fact, I encourage it. If they want to do a class on systemic racism, let's do it. 30 minutes for one side, 30 minutes for an opposing yeah. viewpoint. And if we want to yeah. get critical race out of labs, it will be out of labs faster than we get out any other way. You want bad ideas to be, to be destroyed overnight, all you have to do is shine a light on them. The only way these ideas can survive and thrive is in darkness, with them shoving it down our throat and keeping people scared to speak out. So I encourage them, if you really are serious about having this debate and want to have the hard discussions, let's have them. Let's have them based on facts. Let's have them based on logic. And let's, you know, set one up after another. And you will very quickly find that, the, that it is out of our laboratories overnight. Oh, yeah. Because it can't withstand actual inquiry. It can't, it can't withstand an actual debate. That's why they don't allow you to disagree or to push back. It's very much like a cult in that way, as you found out when you tried to offer a class with, with facts that didn't come to the same conclusions that they do. Um, but, you, but you're also you're pointing out something really important about this the ideology, which is that once it takes over, once it's moved into your workplace or your church or your hobby group or your school or your company like Google, it becomes the number one priority. It becomes the lens through which everything is viewed. And so as you're saying, it's affecting the hiring process. It's affecting what the things, the projects that you get, the ideas that you're putting forward in this national security lab. It's impacting what you're working on. And, yeah. and that's because it becomes more important than what your original goal was. Whatever the goal was, whether it's a workplace or a church or a school or a hobby group, this becomes the number one priority. And then that goal is subverted. And so a lot of people can't understand. I think it, it goes back to the, the point you're making, Carter, about people who are a little bit naive to how this ideology operates. They will sometimes look at a company where it's taken where it's taken over, taken root, for example, and say, "Well, don't they care about profits? Why would they be pushing this if, you know, if it's not good for profits?" It's like because you don't understand how this operates. It is the number one priority, and once it's taken over, profits yeah. are second. National security becomes second. Especially but, when you talk about CEOs, CEOs are not hurting for profits. You know, they, they, they donate their money constantly to different causes. And if they take a hit in their bottom line, they're more than happy to do so for the cause. And that's why it's hard to look at it as just like an ideology or something. It really is. Uh, I, I know it's, it's some, sometimes seem unfair, but it, it really does. It's more akin to a religion or a conspiracy theory. And at all costs, you know, you, you promote this o over all of the rationale. And I think that um, another thing is this is making a lot of um, – uh, people at the laboratories that like this woman echoed in the in the video that I did uh, about these LDRDs and having her speak out and and be brave to do being brave to do that. Um, she she was talking about how this had made her doubt herself. Yes. And so 
for you to push these these views and saying we are going to do a race gender pipeline and all that's going to happen is every promotion every award everything that happens that you're going to have these uh, amazing intelligent um scientists and engineers doubting themselves you know i i work around some amazingly brilliant women amazingly brilliant minorities and to have them sitting there and thinking that they don't belong there they're sitting at the table with all the group of same engineers and they don't belong there that that is devastating they are not going to be coming to work and putting their whole selves into their job. And it's unfortunate, but I am not just here to complain. I am here to also offer solutions. So I would actually challenge our company or the entire, all national laboratories. If they really think that there is racism and sexism in the hiring process, this is 2020. We can make the entire process anonymous, especially for promotions. You can make every single promotion entirely anonymous. And do you think any, anybody that has my viewpoint at the laboratory currently is going to be against that? Really, if you think that there is so much racism, sex in the laboratory, make it completely anonymous. And there can't just attach a number to everybody, a code to everybody, and go completely on merit and completely on achievements. And then we can put this whole entire thing to rest. We don't need this imaginary boogeyman out there of racism and systemic racism and systemic sexism going through these national laboratories. Make everything anonymous. I will bet in mo- even most of yeah. the hiring process could remain anonymous. Well, I'm, I'm going to spoil technologies that we have. Yeah, spoiler alert is that they don't actually they would not be okay with that. <laughs> well, as you I don't know if you've seen but they've they've uh, recently argued again they they don't want to have blind auditions anymore for the orchestra because they're now saying they they originally started doing blind auditions in order to fight racism and sexism. But now they're sa- they're saying we can't do those anymore because race and sex should play a role and we need higher percentages. Yes, so. everything should be looked at through the lens of race and sex, and that is a that is critical race theory. You have to, uh, I mean, it's, it's it's very unfortunate how many traits that critical race theory and intersectionality share with white supremacists. And if you are making your bed with white supremacists, you might you might realize that your ideology is a little morally bankrupt at some point. Yeah. And it's extremely unfortunate that that's making it our laboratories. But I'm hoping our national laboratory is not like a lot of the other uh, organizations that we see around the nation, especially private companies. You know, we, we do have a lot of very logical, very passionate people in the laboratories. And this is a fight that we are winning and that we will win and we have to win. So um, I've had a lot of people voice concern that I'm going to burn out on this or get bored or eventually drift away. And I think that possibly people have not met me. I guarantee that is not the case. I don't care what they do to put me away. This is not going away until, until this mission is accomplished. And we are, we have this completely out of our national laboratories and we have a truly diverse and inclusive laboratories where we aren't judging people based on their gender, based on their race. We're judging people based on their merit, based on their accomplishment and based on what's important. And we hear a lot about diversity. And I think, HR departments push diversity in hiring and they say, do you value diversity? And then they talk about these studies where you have diverse groups of engineers and they produce better results because they think diversely and things like that. Diversity of thinking is entirely different from diversity of race. Yes, there is a correlation between race and diversity of thinking, but some of the most diverse thinking that I have seen at the laboratories came from a older white gentleman 
Um, and then, then I'm friends with his laboratories. And he comes into some of these meetings where people have been working on problems for weeks or months even, and will drop a path forward or ask the right questions and come at it in such a unique way that he has some of the most diverse thinking, thinking that I've seen or heard of. And if diversity of thinking was so closely attached to race and gender, then you would have these extremely intelligent engineers and project leads fighting over the women and over the people of color that were at the laboratory, needing them on their project. But that's not necessarily the case. They know what type of diversity of thinking they need on their projects. Diversity is absolutely great, and we should value it and cherish it our laboratories and push it. But when you are excluding you, the largest population of white males and bashing on the largest population of white males at, at your laboratories, that does not make an inclusive and diverse environment. Diversity includes white males. And the laboratory is, is alienating that group of people that are critical to our national security. So I think everybody at, the, at our laboratories needs to feel included. And we need to get back to that point where we, we aren't pushing these, these very divisive points of view at our laboratories. Yeah. Part of what may determine your success is how much this has metastasized uh, in, into Sandia. And I don't know. But I think one of the issues that you're struggling with is um, just fundamentally is the way that they get around a lot of rules about politics or using anecdotal data rather than statistics or whatever, um, the reason they get around all that is because at a very fundamental level, they've they've pushed a, a philosophy which is inimical to standard kind of rational <laughs> philosophy, right? So they, yeah. like Carrie mentioned, they like reason is considered a construct of of the white patriarchy um you know lived experience is an alternative way of knowing which is just as valid as facts like all of these things that sound ridiculous are those are the foundations that the academics have been putting in place for for decades and so it's on those foundations that a lot of this critical race theory or a lot of the um, actions being pushed by the critical race theorists, those that it's on those foundations that it's built. And if you've got people at the high level of Sandia that are just accepting the conclusions and pushing the political agenda, then absolutely, maybe you maybe this will totally work, and you'll be able to. They still have some allegiance to reason. If it's metastasized to the point where the the entire HR department and people in charge actually accept the bad philosophy, that becomes a much more difficult uh, battle. Maybe not impossible. So I but. think the uh, your approach is probably um, short-sighted. Let's say tomorrow Sandia came out and said, we are so sorry for all of this. This will not happen again. And they came and changed all, their, all, all of their policies. That is very temporary. That is something that they can change their mind tomorrow. This can go away in one year from now. There can be another George Floyd type incident. And statistically, we know there will be a, another George Floyd. There was plenty of uh, white people, unarmed white people that were killed. There were t plenty of police brutality incidents. And unfortunately, uh, it is not solved. We still have problems in policing in America, you know, with, with some individuals and small instances. So that is not a permanent solution. What is a more permanent solution? is first and foremost an executive order but as we know as the saying goes an executive order um, is short-lived as well because live by the executive order die by the executive order so depending on uh, how things go 
obviously in the upcoming months and uh, what happens, we need to push this through to an actual legislative solution. Legislation is much, much more difficult to come back on. And this needs to go not just for Sandia. I've already gotten emails from many other organizations in the federal government that have seen this. Uh, I mean, even Los Alamos is having these, these similar issues. I don't know to what extent, but I've received uh, things discussing that. And this is something that needs to be done from a federal level. We have 17 national laboratories, 17 absolutely brilliant, critical national laboratories. And if we do not stand together, that means uh, all individuals uh, uh, working in these national laboratories and U.S. taxpayers stand up right now and make our voices heard and get our, get our voices in front of the correct people, this is going to be a problem that's only going to repeat itself. Maybe this goes away for a few years just because I put some video out, but it's going to keep coming back again and again and again. So anything less than a legislative action is completely unacceptable. And so we are pushing that, pushing that front, obviously, with this uh, barrage of uh, emails and stories that are being leaked and things that are way worse than I knew they were. I'm, we're pushing all of that up to the correct uh, sources throughout the government, and we are seeing some movement on that front, and we will not stop pushing until we get a legislative solution. Can you tell people what you're doing? I know you've like set up emails and templates and that kind of stuff. Can you tell people that are interested in supporting this? how they can utilize what you've set up and what your plans are for the future here? Yes, the video that I put out today talking about becoming an HR watchdog has three boilerplate emails, and these emails are jumping off points. One of them is for the general public, and we left a list of people that uh, you can email as a citizen. Uh, email, and there's even phone numbers of where people can call to draw attention to this. Um, and so that's for the general public. And then as for the Sandia uh, National Labs employees, uh, if they just go to the channel data-driven conclusions, that's our channel. They'll find all the videos there and all the information they need. The other two are for them. Additionally, I do not have all the answers. People come to me as if I'm the bastion of all good ideas on this subject. And people of our, other people started just uh, taking initiative, uh, tweeting these videos out to the correct people. We need uh, national exposure. So uh, tweeting these things out or pushing them to people's social media, uh, reaching out to other individuals. I am open and available to discuss this on other platforms. I'm open and available to discuss this on, with senators uh, on phone calls. I've reached out on multiple fronts, and, and we are starting some of those conversations. So whatever ideas that people have to push this, this is an extremely important battle to have. And if, you, we, if we can push this out of our federal facilities, out of, especially out of our national laboratories, it makes it much more difficult for these things to fester and grow inside of some of these private companies as well. When it's looked at as discrimination, when it's looked at as uh, completely unacceptable, completely outside of the Overton window inside of our federal facilities, all of a sudden it starts looking really bad when a company, private company, stands up and supports these radical views. So this is something that can have downstream effects. And so I don't, uh, uh, people need to understand how important this movement is. So whatever your ideas are, get active with it. Uh, we have a serious problem with um, a lot of individuals with, uh, with, I would call them more traditional ideology, more uh, logical viewpoint, people that want to be left alone, where they are some of the most brave cowards that I know. They are some of the people that would, you know, very easily sacrifice their lives for what they believe in. And at the same time, you ask them to stand up and speak out against something and, you know, possibly sacrifice their job, and they, they crawl into a corner. And it's completely acceptable, uh, understandable, because that is their livelihood. They have, they have people depending on them, and loved ones depending on them, but it, now is the time to stand up. 
this, this is the call to action. It's not getting any better than this. If we do not stand yeah. together now, there's not going to be another movement five, ten years from now that's going to push back harder, that's going to be more successful. Nobody's yes. going to do it for you. Nobody can take a back seat to this. We need to stand up, stand together now, and as a country, push this out of our national laboratories, and when that's done, start pushing it out of our private industries. Let people make it extremely clear that this type of speech and this type of ideology is well outside of the Overton window. And if you want to have your own whatever views you have, it's just like any religious views. You can keep those at home, keep them to yourself. We don't Funny want to enough. hear about them being forced on us. Funny enough, that's what they told you. You can have your private opinions at home. <laughs> yes. Well, Casey, I just wanted to say thank you so much. What I, I love what you're doing. You are providing an example for people. Carter and I talk a lot about how, as you're saying, the fears that people have are very real. And they're le legitimate. You could lose your job. You could be placed on administrative leave like you. You're sticking your neck out there. But as you said, now is the time. It will be. It, you're still legally allowed to speak against this ideology now that that may not be true in the future if you if we let this fester for too long so i just i'm i'm really grateful for you that you're you're putting your neck out there and you're you're standing as an example for, for people yeah. so i just want to add one last thing here is that uh, a lot of people are, are kind of caught up in the drama of it and if you're coming here to find out what happens to my job what they do to me and sitting around for the show that is completely unimportant that is yes. not what we are here for. Regardless of what happens to my job, we are seeing this fight through to the end. So if you are coming around to grab some popcorn and see what happens to my job, uh, I, I do not want you anywhere in this fight. We need people that are here and active and ready to fight alongside of us. And regardless of what happens to my job, that's not the important thing here. The important thing is our national laboratories and our scientists and our engineers and our nation. Yeah. So we need to stick together and focus on what matters and stop focusing on the, the drama of what's going to happen and what what. Sandia may or may not do. But that's exactly why you're an example for people, because it doesn't matter. You, you're fighting this battle in the labs, and you're looking for people to help you fight it, but it doesn't matter whatever, what kind of career people are in. If this is infiltrating, I think you are an example to people that there's something more important. There's a long-lasting concern for your children's well-being that goes beyond your the circumstances of what your job happens to be today. Mm -hmm. And Definitely. yeah, so I think you're very courageous. You can shirk it off the compliment if you want, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. I think this is the this is the opportunity for this generation doesn't get to fight Nazis directly, but if they want to do something for a good cause and fight an evil, they don't have to go die on the battlefields of World War II, but they might have to speak at their job. Uh, they might have to yeah. speak their mind at their job. Uh, and risk some nasty looks and maybe getting fired. Um, I think that's a that's a pretty reasonable ask to defend against this kind of vile ideology. Definitely. Well, thanks, Casey, for coming on the show. I really appreciate uh, appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, we wish you luck, and I'm sure we'll have you back as you start winning. And uh, and and yes, as you. they start leaving Sandia. You will be uh, back to give us updates, I hope. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for watching. 
If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. I have calculated a 95.6% probability that none of these people are real anyway. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Looting is a joyful expression of love. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.